Old Testament lesson this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word read and proclaimed today. God, that we would not have ears only to hear. God, that you would give us minds to understand. That you would give us hearts to apply what we hear. And what you give us to understand. Or that by your word and by your spirit, that you would continue the work of transformation in our lives, that we would continually be changed, even today, more and more into the likeness of your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Tell me that doesn't speak to us. No worries in a year of drought. Doesn't that sound good? A New Testament lesson is from John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. We talked last week on Easter Sunday about the good news of Jesus being raised from the dead and the life that we have in him, the hope that we have uh, for life forever with God. And we talked about this good news and how it's not just good news for us, but it's good news that we are to share with the world. And there's there's kind of this sense, though, every year right after Easter, when you hear this message of the good news proclaimed again, where it almost sounds like we're there, we have arrived All is now going to be made right with the world. And by the time the worship service ends, it seems like this is, you know, we are at the, at the moment of the kingdom coming in fullness. And then you walk out to your car and it won't start. And you say, well, that's it. Maybe, maybe we're not as close as I thought we were after all. Or you go through the rest of your week and, and things you still encounter the pain and the heartache. And you think, but wasn't this all supposed to be dealt with at the cross? Wasn't this all overcome by the resurrection? And yet here I am still dealing with this. What do I do there? How does that make sense with this message that we've been given? And so we're going to, uh, we're going to begin a new sermon series today that addresses these kinds of issues. How is it that we are to be living and delivering this message of the good news of Jesus? And for that, we're going to be looking in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're not going to go through the entire thing uh, verse by verse, but we will hit large sections of it that way. And we'll begin at the beginning, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he has written to them before, he has visited them before, he has had uh, some painful times both there and away from there, and he knows them well. And here's, here's what he writes. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. 
We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. You probably heard one word in there that just kept coming back again and again and again. This word of comfort. We heard that God is the father of compassion and he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And he goes on and on about this comfort that we have received. But this comfort comes in the context of pain and suffering. And so I want to talk about how this comfort comes to us from God in Jesus Christ in three types of suffering that we face in the world today. Are you ready? The first is the suffering that we encounter just as a part of being in a broken and fallen world. And this is where we have those sufferings that occur, the tragedies of life, not necessarily persecutions, not necessarily anything that we have caused through our own sinfulness or anything else, just the things that happen in a fallen and broken world, the illnesses we face, the injuries that people do to each other just don't make any sense. We know those heartaches. But we also know that Jesus experienced the heartaches of living in a broken and fallen and sinful world. And so when we go to God... We don't go to somebody who can't understand what we're going through or what it means to live through this pain. But we're going to somebody who does understand, who has been through it all, who knows what it's like to have those closest to you reject you and betray you, who knows what it's like to encounter sickness and disease who knows what it's like to face separation from from his father and the God knows what it's like to lose a child I lived in Oklahoma years ago there was a woman we knew quite well she had uh, taught Sunday school with us for years and um was on the board of Young Life Ministries, had a um, lovely family, she and her husband and their three young kids, they're in their mid-thirties, and one day her husband, who was in perfect health, has an aneurysm, 
and dies. Very suddenly. Completely unexpectedly. What does she do? Well, she called the pastor. A good start. But she also called another woman in the church. She called my mom. Not because my mom had all the answers, but because my mom had also lost her husband who was in perfect health in his mid-30s when she had small children. And there's a comfort that comes there. Just from being with somebody that you know has been through it before. They may not know exactly what you're going through. They may not know exactly what you're feeling in any moment. But there is a comfort of being with somebody who's been through it before. And I know that many of you know personally what I'm talking about. You have been through things and you've reached out to others who've been through it before and you have found comfort through that. And Paul reminds us that is what we are to, that's what we're doing for each other. In the same ways that Paul has endured hardship and persecutions and has been comforted by God, he is now able to help the people in Corinth as they are going through similar kinds of things. He is able to be there for them as the one who has gone through it before. But more than that, he's able to point them to Jesus who has been through it before as well. We have someone who can sympathize with us that we can turn to and we can say, I am so glad to talk to somebody who knows what it's like to feel the way I feel. But there's another kind of suffering that we face, and that is the suffering that we often try to... uh, Try to avoid all kinds of suffering, don't we? But here's here's one of them that's more internal. It's the suffering that we face in relationship to our own pride and ego and the sinfulness of our own hearts. Jesus said that if anyone would come after him, we must take up our cross, deny ourselves daily, and follow him. Take up our cross. The cross was not like a badge of honor. It was not a symbol of anything good. The cross meant humiliation, it meant pain, and it ended in death. That's it. Why would Jesus say that? You need to take up your cross daily. Couldn't he have picked something a little more fun? Everybody who wants to follow me must carry, pick up their go-kart and let's go. You know, that... Hey, I'm on board with that. Not you. <laughs> but he doesn't say go. He says cross. Pain, humiliation, death. This is what you're going to have to go through. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of Jesus. And what does that look like? Part of what it looks like is being willing to face the sin in our lives. If we'd read a little bit farther in Jeremiah this morning, we would have seen that it says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked. You know what that means? That means our hearts lie to us. And you know this is true. Because you have been in a situation where you have done something that you know is wrong, you know it's wrong, and nobody else knows about it. 
Nobody knows about it. And still, you'll find yourself trying to spin it to yourself. Well, that's not really wrong. You do that, don't you? Maybe I'm the only one. But you have... You have things like that where even Jesus tells the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan and you have the priest and the Levite who are walking on the road. They see a guy who's been beat up, who needs help. And of course, they're supposed to go and help him. And yet they pass by and even as they're doing so, they're thinking, well, you know, I've got more important things to do at church. I'm not going to help this guy. Besides, he might be dead. And if he's dead, I wouldn't want to touch him because you know, God wouldn't want me to do that. And so they're trying to spin this into something positive. Jesus points out pretty clearly it's, that's not what God's law requires. And here's the problem. is If we're lying to ourselves, the better we are at it, the less we know we're doing it. So Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who both go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee looks up to heaven and prays, you know, Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner, this tax collector over here. And we look at that and we kind of scoff. <laughs> Who does he think he is? And yet how often do we need to be the ones who hear Jesus' words of planks in our own eye? As we look at those around us and we think, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. That person has really messed up their life, but I've got it all together. Uh-oh. But we have to face the pain of the sin of our lives, the hit that we take to our ego and our pride, because until we do that, the good news will not be good news. It'll be news, not good news. Jesus says, he who has been forgiven little loves little, but he who has been forgiven much loves much. I think the way many people view uh, our relationship to God is, you know, I'm not perfect. I've made a mistake or two. One of the kids said, you know, I asked if you ever told somebody something that's not true. One of them said, yeah, I've done twice. (laughs) All right, then. Glad you're keeping track. But... uh, But we tend to have this view of, you know, okay, God is perfect. He's way up here. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm not that bad off. I'm pretty close. And I've got some rough edges, but it wouldn't take too much if I just sort of fix those up. And, yeah, we'll get there. And so you hear the message of Jesus who died and uh, taking the penalty of our sin and being able to make us right then with God. Being able to make us acceptable to God. And we say, you know, getting from here to here... Well, I guess it's kind of nice. Maybe I won't have to do that work on my own. But the more that we come to see our own sin and how far we are separated from God, how far we really do fall short, we hear the message of Jesus who has brought us close to God. I say, that is good. That is great news. And we want to share that. But it doesn't start out as good news. It starts out as bad news because we have to first face the sin in our own lives. I remember once I went to a youth conference uh, years ago and the speaker was challenging everyone 
to pray that God would show them the sin in their lives. I was young and naive. That sounded like a good idea to me. And so uh, that night, my roommate and I, he was a few years older than me, were praying together. And I prayed, you know, that God would show me the sin in my life. Well, he didn't pray that. And after we said amen, he looked at me and said, you're a braver man than I am. (laughs) And I didn't really understand what he meant until God started answering that prayer. (laughs) And the ego takes a hit. And the pride is destroyed. And there's a suffering that comes with that. But that suffering is not an end in itself. It's a suffering that leads to a comfort. And in fact, the greater the suffering is, the greater our understanding of the depth of our sin is, the more wonderful the comfort is. The more good the good news is. When we hear, as Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we can look at all the depths of the horrible things in our in our own hearts, and we don't have to hide them anymore. But we can honestly say, God, this is who I am, and we can know that he has seen it already. And he still loves us so much. But as he says in Romans 5.8, that it's while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That is good news. And the comfort that comes from that begins with the suffering of facing up to our own personal sin. Okay, but there's a third kind of suffering in view here specifically. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and that has to do with the suffering that comes through the identification with Jesus. talks about the sufferings of Christ flowing over into our lives. You know, Paul kind of has a rough time. As you read through the book of Acts, you read through even later in 2 Corinthians, he kind of tells some of the hardships that he faces in more detail. He mentions one of them here where he says they were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, scholars differ as to what exactly was going on at this particular time, and it's, they don't agree because Paul faced a lot of situations that could easily fit this. Where it seemed like at that moment he was saying... Okay, I know God has gotten us out of a lot of things in the past, and we've endured some pretty hard things, but this time, this is the end. It's over now. And yet, he says, God delivered him. Even when it was that bad. But why is Paul having such a hard time, though? You know, if you actually look at kind of his... The biography is presented to us in scripture. He doesn't always go through this kind of stuff. It starts at a particular point, actually. It starts when he starts being known as Paul. Before that, he was known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. 
He was well learned. He was a great teacher, preacher, and he could kind of had authority in his local community. And things seemed to be going quite well for Saul. Nobody was beating him up on a regular basis. If anything, he was the one beating others up. Told about Stephen, one of the very first uh, earliest Christians in the book of Acts, when he is killed, it says that Saul is standing there giving his approval. That's where Saul is. He's in a position of power over others. But something happens. And suddenly he starts getting beat up and despairing even of life, thinking it's all over for him. And what is it that happens? What makes the difference? He meets Jesus. He begins to follow Jesus and he begins to find out that when you follow Jesus, the same kinds of things happen to you that happened to Jesus. And so Jesus came with a message of life for the world and the kingdom of God and the world didn't want to hear it. They did whatever they could to shut him up. And Paul, once he meets Jesus, goes around spreading this message of life and the kingdom of God for the world and they didn't want to hear it. They did whatever they could to try to shut him up. And so Paul says the more closely we are identified with Jesus and the more openly we proclaim this message of good news and the message of life, the more likely it is that we're going to face trouble and persecution because of it. But that we do it for others. And that there is still, even in this suffering, a comfort that comes from it. And in this sense, he says he delivered us Um, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If we have this message of life, if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he will raise us as well, then we can go out in power, not on our own strength. Not the way that evangelism is usually thought about in the church, I believe. Where people think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close like we were talking about before. I've got, got things pretty well together. I've got some good strengths and gifts and abilities. And if I just work on this a little bit here and there, then I'll be ready. And then I can go out and proclaim the message with power. But I challenge you to find me any person in the Bible that God calls like this. Where he says, you know what, guys? Um, I'm kind of busy over here right now. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to pick you because you've got everything that you need already to go and do what I'm going to send you to do on your own. So you go do that and let me know how it goes. I'm going to be over here. Really? Genesis to Revelation. See if you can find one person God calls like that. And yet that's how we sometimes think about it. That God's going to send us to do something on our own. Never. Never happens. All the way through the Bible, what is the number one task every person who's called by God is given? To depend completely on God for what it is they're doing. 
I'll let you think your way through that one. It's actually a pretty good exercise. So Paul says that as they were despairing even for life, that that happened, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We have a message of comfort for a world filled with pain and brokenness. And we can be those who can help provide comfort as we open up to one another about how we've gotten through difficult times, how we have relied on God through it all, the ways in which he has delivered us. More than that, we've heard the good news of Jesus. But if you have never let it get past your ears or understood it, to be really good news in a life-changing way. My prayer is for God to begin to show you your sin. Not to lead you into despair, but to lead you to your Savior. And finally, if you have received this good news as truly good news, my prayer is that the comfort and peace and joy and love and hope that has been poured out into your life would begin to overflow and to spill over to those around you. And no matter what response you receive, whether rejoicing or rejection, that you would continue faithfully and joyfully depending on God every step of the way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.